Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. More people today are rediscovering ritual as a way to strengthen their connection to what matters most in life. Full moon circles, tea ceremonies, private prayers, daily meditation, all ways to bring presence to the moment and clean your perceptual filters to notice things fresh. People are carving out time to go inward to animate their connection to what seems to be outside the self. But as that visceral connection grows, the old stories we tell ourselves about what's important no longer serve us. We find ourselves in uncharted territory, guided on our way forward only by the feeling in our hearts. The opportunities are huge. The challenges are real. You're just in time for the evolution. Welcome to The Evolver, where each week I talk with inspiring pioneers of the new consciousness culture. If this show resonates for you, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Acast, or on the podcast app of your choice. Share this episode with friends at the Kava Bar, leave a rating on iTunes, and post about it on social media. Our email address is theevolver at evolver.net for feedback. You can follow us on Instagram at The Evolver Podcast and on Facebook at Evolver Social Movement. Now, let's get started. Welcome to The Evolver, sponsored by The Alchemist Kitchen, hosted by Ken Jordan. I admit it. I live in a bubble, a little consciousness culture bubble that hovers protectively over lower Manhattan, Brooklyn, and parts of Queens. In this bubble, a whole lot of people practice some kind of meditation or yoga, or at least aspire to. They think of food as medicine. They recognize humanity's deep interconnection to each other and with nature. They think of cannabis as a spiritual experience, and everyone knows someone just back from an ayahuasca retreat. That's the scene that Evolver grew out of. Anyone who's in this scene will tell you, the last two or three years, it's been exploding. More people keep showing up for the party. And when I say party, I kind of mean it, because once you start to open up to these energies, it can be a lot of fun. You open up to the love that you hold within yourself. But in our society, we're not encouraged to connect with that unlimited power source. Instead, we're trained to see ourselves as isolated sufferers in a materially dead universe that seems incapable of satisfying our insatiable desires. Though we keep buying more stuff in the hope that the next purchase will somehow lead to lasting happiness. When, in actuality, everything you need is already there, inside of you, connecting vibrationally to everything else. It's marveling at the simple miracle of existence. Every moment can be the best party you've ever been invited to. But it's not the kind of party that my quasi-hipster self used to wander hazily into late at night, a few drinks down the hatch looking for white lines to inhale. I used to want to derange my senses in order to escape myself. Now, I use time-honored techniques like meditation, yoga, and the occasional plant medicine 
to reach an altered state where I can discover myself more fully. When I get to that place, that's where the party now starts. Believe me, it's quite a party. Today, we're seeing the emergence of a new global consciousness culture. It's being innovated as we speak, a kind of post-secular, non-religious spirituality that people are integrating into their everyday lives. It's an awareness that stays with you after the great visionary epiphany has felled you, after that crack-in-the-sky moment. You can keep that awareness present in small ways by following simple, doable practices and weaving mindfulness into all aspects of your life. That includes your relationships, the work you do, the food you eat, and how you care for your body. These practices become the breadcrumb trail that leads you again and again back to your connection to your own heart. They remind you of what is most important. They are the ladders you climb to take you to the light whenever you feel yourself cloaked by darkness. As I discuss with my guest today, Jennifer Goldman, it's these simple practices that make a life, including, of course, health and beauty products. Inspired by our own healing and growth journey, Jennifer created a line of aromatherapeutic oils, Essential Rose Life, as a way of extending the reflective and restorative practices she uses into daily body care. We offer essential rose oils at the Alchemist's Kitchen. Jennifer Goldman has an inspiring story of deep depression, self-destructive behavior, and recovery. At times, it was quite hair-raising, but she came through as we talk about. I think you'll find her to be a reflective and provocative advocate for women's empowerment and a reinvention of our culture's ideal of beauty. Key for Jennifer was discovering meditation and yoga, which led her to become a 300-hour advanced clinical aromatherapist, a three-time certified 200-hour yoga teacher trainer, a practitioner of transcendental meditation and mindfulness-based stress reduction, and a Reiki 1 and 2 energy healer. She describes the goal of Essential Rose Life as healing and growth through ritual, which we also discuss. Society is being reimagined to bring it into alignment with who we are after we have direct experience of Source. Everything we do should, one way or another, be designed to lead us back to the sacred. Not in some phony, goody-goody way like angels playing harps in old black-and-white movies, but in an embodied way that revels in our connection to nature. You might even be convinced that nature herself is whispering in humanity's ear, saying, it's time to wake up to this awareness. Everyone seems to be talking about CBD these days, that is, cannabidiol, the non-psychoactive component of cannabis. The buzz is that CBD doesn't make you high, like THC does, but for conditions such as stress and anxiety, health professionals are increasingly recommending it as an alternative to pharmaceuticals, and scientific research is showing that CBD is highly anti-inflammatory, so it can help with pain relief. What does the scientific research say about CBD? Research centers in the United States and elsewhere are studying the effects of CBD on a variety of ailments. Scientists refer to CBD as a promiscuous compound because it offers therapeutic benefits in many different ways, 
while tapping into how we function physiologically and biologically on a deep level. Extensive preclinical research and some clinical studies have shown that CBD has strong antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, antidepressant, antipsychotic, and neuroprotective qualities. What's the best way to take CBD? CBD-rich cannabis oil products can be taken sublingually, orally, as edibles, lozenges, beverages, tinctures, and gel caps, or applied topically. Concentrated cannabis oil extracts can also be heated and inhaled with a vape pen. Inhalation is good for treating acute symptoms that require immediate attention. The effects can be felt within a minute or two and typically last for a couple of hours. The effects of orally administered CBD-rich cannabis oil can last for four hours or more, but the onset of effects is much slower, like 30 to 90 minutes, than inhalation. Evolver is the proud papa of the Alchemist Kitchen, a botanical dispensary located in the Bowery District of New York, where you can find the finest quality CBD products available without THC. We also make our own premium CBD under the Plant Alchemy label. Our producer Jose's mom uses it for stress, anxiety, and high blood pressure. Our plants are grown in both field and greenhouse environments, cultivated using living soil organic principles, leveraging strictly organic inputs, and in full compliance with the controls defined by the Colorado Department of Agriculture. Our plants are some of the highest CBD cannabis varieties currently known. You can find out more about CBD by visiting the Alchemist Kitchen website at thealchemistskitchen.com. There's an S in there. And searching for CBD. There are articles on the blog, an FAQ, and a selection of vetted products. Or stop by our spot at 21 East 1st Street in Manhattan, between Bowery and 2nd Avenue, and talk to one of our staff herbalists. At the shop, tell them you listen to the Evolver podcast and receive a 10% discount on any product on the shelves. Do you feel like you're part of a community doing the work that you do with your company and the products that you're making? I do, but I think community has always been something that I have wanted to create it around myself. And so with my business, I really want to create a movement. I want to create a new way of defining beauty, of defining self-love beyond the trend, beyond the fluff, as completely restoring our self-relationships, getting real, getting authentic, stepping into our power, um, being vulnerable, right? Embracing vulnerability with courage. And so I really see myself as setting an example for other people to feel safe to do that. And so the community that I want to create, that I seek to create, that I hope I am creating is these vulnerable leader women who aren't afraid to own all of the parts of themselves because we're taught that some parts are better than others, right? You know, it's not safe or comfortable to feel certain things or to own our past that we feel a lot of shame and isolation just as part of how we're raised in society. So I want to get women to own all of the parts of themselves uh, because I feel like that is the gateway to healing. That's the first step to healing. Beauty is a highly charged word. It is. What does it mean to you? Beauty to me is a feeling. 
It is a way of living your life with an open heart. It is showering the people in your life with love. It's vulnerability. It's a way that you conduct yourself. It's not about the physical or the external. I think that it starts within, as cliche as that may sound, but it has the power to transform your physical appearance through the alchemy of this emotional sort of elevation. You know, whereas so many brands on the market really focus on products that are for the skin, that's not what it's about. It's if if we're not nurturing our emotions, if we're not taking care of who we are inside, it's it's a glow. It's a way of letting ourselves shine and come to the surface and acting without inhibition. And so that's why I'm really focused again on creating this movement where women feel safe to emerge and to shine. And I think that is the most beautiful thing. So beauty is not so much about a look. It's not the exterior. No. Because no. in our society, mm-hmm. man, it is so prevalent right. that it's about exactly like, you know, how many wrinkles you got. And that if you can't pull it off, quote unquote, naturally, you can get a tuck or you right. can get an operation that's going to alter you. Right. There's a, an expectation of perfection. No one's perfect. And if we're constantly being bombarded by images that portray perfect people living happy lives all the time, then we go home at night and we feel badly about who we are. And so if we can be honest about all of the different things we're experiencing, if we can recognize how deep our beauty really goes beyond the skin and surface, then we will all rise. These, these traditional right, norms. surface-based norms that don't account for the person, but account for simply appearance within a very sort of limited kind of perspective. Right. right. Did you experience that when you were younger? I always objectified myself. I objectified my worth. I equated my worth with my body and with my appearance and felt like my intelligence or my emotions were a disservice to me being loved. It was, they got in the way and I tried to numb myself and I tried to hollow myself out and make myself empty because I felt like that's what people my age did when they were 13, 14, 15, 16. I couldn't express the fullness of my intensity like it was crazy. And I think that women go through that universally. Women were taught as girls that we are too crazy. We are too intense. We're too emotional. We're, you don't want to be around us certain times of the month or, you know, it's that for me at least caused me to stifle the full spectrum of who I was. And I equated, I misidentified my worth with, again, my body and how I appeared and how I could um, be be used and exploited. Did you think of it as used and exploited at the time? I was seeking to be empty. I was seeking to be 
it was simultaneously empty but connected, empty but loved, empty but accepted. And so I did what I felt like I had to do. And my self-esteem was very, very low. And so I continued to dress provocatively or be promiscuous or put myself into these situations where I was allowing people into my life who were not necessarily supportive or safe. And I did this for a very long time. I mean, a very, very long time. Because again, there was this idea that that is what you do to be loved. That is what you do to be accepted, right? That's the culture of just the hookup culture or whatever it is. And so I played into that. It really wasn't until I recognized that I wasn't getting what I needed, where I had this conversation with God in the universe. And I was like, listen up. I am ready. I know what I'm worth. I know I am worth intimacy. I know I am worth a partner who can meet me at the level and the depth of my soul. I know I am worth having my needs met. And that's what I'm going to stand for. And it happened on a mountaintop in the middle of New Mexico. Oh, my God. It was that dramatic. It, it was just on this mountaintop. And I'm talking to God, the universe, whatever you want to call it. And I'm like, this is the, the partner that I need. And I listed it all out. You listed out what? Types the of attributes. Things. Yeah, really? I was like, he needs to have connections in New York and LA and New Mexico. You know, mm-hmm. he needs to be creative and entrepreneurial and sensitive and be able to hold my emotions and not be scared of them. I, I mean, I had a full on uh-huh. conversation. It was a declaration. This was the declaration of my independence as a woman. And from that point on, I never looked back. But it took. Oh, yeah, so. And then he called you? Like, what happened? His friend from college, Ben, was living in New Mexico. So I'm on a mountaintop in New Mexico, having this deck, declaring my independence. And after that, we go to Ben's ranch because Cooper, my friend, wanted to see Ben. Little did I know that that's what God or the universe had in mind. So did me. you sit down with Ben with the list and go, okay, hey, let me just see I, how this how this. I did it out. internally. Ah. I'm, I mean, I have a lot, my moon is in Virgo. So I ha- I'm like super, you know, critical. I don't mean to be, whoever's listening, I'm not judging you. It's just an attribute of the Virgo. You know, it's very like, it loves the lists. It's like, what can I check off? So I didn't, I didn't share this with him, of course, but in my mind, I was like, wow, he is really creative. He is entrepreneurial. He is X, Y, and Z. He has family in New York. He has family in LA and he's living in New Mexico. There you go. And it just happened. And it was three days later that that happened. And so I showed up at Ben's ranch. We locked eyes. It was really that gushy, romantic, bizarre. You know, I didn't want to sound crazy. I'm sure he didn't want to sound crazy. But then throughout the rest of our time together, he he would probably kill me if I was saying this, but whatever. He's not going to listen. 
So he- <laughs> that's the ideal relationship. <laughs> Love but you, true. but don't listen to my podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. Maybe he will, but I mean, this is I'm not making this up. This is true. So he was introducing me to his dad as his long lost love, and I'm like, wow, this is a man. That's a little crazy, but like I'm into the courage behind that and the bravery and just this man that knows what he wants and he's ready to go for it. What was it then that led to that moment? That moment atop a mountain. That enabled you to see Mm -hmm. what wasn't working for you. I mean, this idea of being empty and connected at the same time is the kind of you know, paradoxical way of being that frankly, you know, forces a crack up. I had, what was it? That, yeah. That, where did this shift happen? I had been dating the same person over and over and over again with different circumstances. So I recognized the pattern. I was dating the guy who had emotional wounds, who wasn't able to take accountability and who needed to be nursed and really didn't care about me in the way that I needed to be cared about. You found that one guy over and over again. There's I only found one that one guy over. <laughs> I mean, you know, I believe I continued to seek that out. It was feeding something within me. It was continuing to prove that I wasn't worthy of being seen and nurtured because the whole time in our relationships, I would be the one giving, giving, giving. And so I had just gotten out of an extreme version of this with a guy who could not be intimate with me. He just couldn't be intimate. There was a wall. And I felt so badly about myself and I felt so ashamed. And I think just through doing the inner work and processing the experience, I realized that it wasn't me and that I didn't need to continue to put myself in those situations. Not only did I not need to, but I was going to stand for something different. And the only way I was going to attract the the guy who could really give me this full connected relationship was with was if I required that. If I got clear in my consciousness about what it was I needed and declared it, maybe not, it didn't need to be as specific, but I got a little carried away. And, you know, if I got clear and owned it and declared it and continued to step forward every day with that awareness. If you can connect to your own, I like to think of it almost as like your own idiosyncratic true self, Mm -hmm. the one that you don't care about other people judging Mm -hmm. one way or the other, Mm -hmm. that it shapes your physicality yes. deeply. Oh, yes. It has a way of changing how you move through the world, through your body. Yes. It affects the muscles all over your body where you hold tension, where you can relax. Right. How your face grows, mm-hmm. right? The focus on the surface can kind of force people to suppress their own expression of who they truly are Absolutely. So that by the time the pretty aspect, the youth aspect of our appearance, by the time you're in your mid-30s is kind of on its way out. Mm. And the real face, your real body starts to show up, Mm. right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And a lot of folks don't do so well. Hmm. So I'm wondering when you were going through that shift for yourself, 
did you see yourself differently in the mirror? Did you look mm. different? What happened for you? I can look at myself now. I don't know if it was I was able to notice it in the transition where I was before. My shoulders would be hunched. I would I would have them rolled forward, and I was hiding my heart, and I was hiding my my essence. Now. I, I believe that I stand more proudly. I stand more fully. I think it's also an energetic sort of thing. It's it's how you're you're posturing yourself and how you're carrying yourself and a, a state of confidence, but also a clarity and a conviction in your energy and your aura that obviously it's hard to put words to what that is, but it does speak louder than words. It speaks for itself. Mm -hmm. And so I think at the time when I had these realizations about my worth and what I needed and stepping into that, I felt like a powerful woman. I felt like a capable, strong woman. I just saw myself in that way. And again, energetically and emotionally. And I think that having that belief and understanding speaks in the body and beyond the body. Did that come along with, say, a yoga practice? Yes. Or any kind of other so spiritual? Was, yeah, there was so much I was doing while this was all happening. So definitely yoga. You know, yoga has really helped me with my posture. So meditation creating space around myself, using aromatherapy, slowing down my actions, journaling, just fostering self-connection in whatever ways I could and can. I mean, I still do these practices, right? Because you don't just get there and land. You have to do it every day to maintain it and to continue to fill the well. So absolutely the way that I was stretching my body, clearing my mind, uh, supporting that emotional and mental hygiene, if you will, as well as the physical hygiene. I think that it all comes together and came together for me to allow me to physically and energetically and emotionally step into the role of powerful woman, of a leader, leading my life, having that inner guidance system, that compass be within, right? So validating from within as opposed to seeking everything or everyone around me to shape me and mold me and make me small. Did you do a little therapy too? Was that a, a part of what you were so working with? So I was in therapy starting from when I was five years old. Can you believe that? That's five years. Impressive. <laughs> it's impressive. So I went into therapy when I was five because I guess I was having these super intense temper tantrums that my parents just didn't know what to do with and why they were happening. So from that point on, I was in and out of therapy until I was 16 when I went through a wilderness intervention. I'm sorry, what's a wilderness intervention? Oh my God. Okay, good. We're going there. So We're going there. Here's what happened. This is the juice. Here's what happened, all right? 
I am 16 years old. And up until this point, I had been, like I said, self-loathing, really low self-esteem, acting out, emptying out through alcohol, pot, boys, just completely numbing myself. And it got to this point where my parents decided that they were going to intervene. It actually wasn't up to them necessarily. They had been speaking with a guidance counselor, and the counselor basically posed the question, if you know my mother and father, they wanted me to have a normal sort of upbringing and be on track. And she basically said, if you don't send her away, will she even be alive to go to college? It was that extreme. I was so depressed. And it's hard to even really remember the full details of it because I think I probably repressed a lot of it. But yeah, I was I was so... The way that I describe it is as if you're wearing gray tinted glasses. That's how I saw the world. It looked gray. It felt dull. It, it was... I felt so much shame. I felt disconnected. I... So all that therapy was not getting you very far. No. because Well, I mean, Almian, I was not, I didn't feel safe to share any of this stuff. I don't know what I would talk about in therapy, but it wasn't the juice. It wasn't really how I was feeling. So you were in this, in this morass, yes. in this challenging morass, and you're just a kid. I would get really drunk and I would, and then I would be be angry and violent towards my parents and blackouts yes almost every weekend almost every weekend and it wasn't you know i wasn't a happy drunk it wasn't like i would black out and had this cheery time i would i would destroy a relationship i would i would be vicious i i don't i would walk out into the middle of the highway and subject my yeah so That was all happening, and I was in school, but I would leave in the middle of the day often. It was very hard for me to just complete a day and sit and focus. But if we're going back to the masks, on the outside, I had a 3.5 GPA, Uh and I was in advanced placement courses, and I was on varsity tennis and varsity softball, and I was partying, and I had friends, and so... I was wearing all of these masks that actually hid from me how I was even feeling. Like I didn't even realize the depth of the destruction. And I'm in the middle of the wilderness, but let me take you to the wilderness because we got a little sidetracked. So it's the middle of the night and my parents organized this intervention where I was pulled out of bed by these two quote unquote transporters. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Middle of the night. The middle of the night. You were sleeping. They figured, oh man, can't let you know this right. is going to happen because right. you won't be there no. when the time comes. I would have uh-huh. dot, hit whatever, hit dodge, whatever that saying is. Okay. Uh-huh. They were standing in the doorway. My mother's at the foot of my bed. And they basically say, get up, get your clothes on. We're going to uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And that was it. And any questions I had, there was no, they didn't give you information because they wanted you to be as present as possible. So, um, and, and as soon as this was happening, right? So I'm woken out of sleep. I somehow just pulled out from within the depths of my wisdom, whatever limited wisdom I had at that time, 
this understanding that I had two choices. Either I would choose to comply or I would be dragged out by my feet. And so I knew the only way to retain my power in that situation was to choose to comply. And so everything they said, I did, I chose it. And I got my stuff on, I walked out the door, I got on a flight to Atlanta, Georgia. I was picked up at the airport by some other transporters and driven to the middle of what is called Clayton, Georgia and dropped off in the middle of the wilderness. I was given a journal and a tarp and I was given a backpack and a sleeping bag and that was it. Whoa, they just explained to you, I guess, in the car that we're going to leave you in the middle of nowhere? Well, I was, it was a gr- I was with a group of other girls who were doing that as ah, well. Okay. So um, it, you're not out of the car by yourself? No, no, no. So they dropped me off and I get my belongings and I'm deposited into this group of other girls. What could you possibly have been thinking? <laughs> I was freaking out. I could not have been more depressed. It was this sinking, helpless, I'm going to die here feeling. That was it. It was, and so it was a Thursday morning that I had gotten sent away. That weekend, there was a sweet 16. I had my dress. I knew which boy I was going to kiss. I had already bought my bag of weed. And, you know, it was all organized and it was all just ripped out from me. And I'm in the wilderness and I'm just I'm just thinking about all of that. All and your of the parents, people. Like you think about your parents, like what they had done to you at that point? I have a depressive tendency. So I wasn't super angry or vengeful. It was just this depressing feeling of helplessness. I, I don't remember how I felt about them. I think I couldn't even go there because I knew there was nothing I could do. It was just this sinking feeling of like, I'm going to die. Was there any kind of spiritual activity in your house growing up? Did your parents have a connection to anything at all that had a, a sense of So I wish, yeah, so I'm, I'm Jewish. I was raised Jewish, but very reformed in Long Island, New York, where the idea of Judaism, in my opinion, is super perverted and 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 just it's a, it's it's identified with the wrong things right it's it's about money and cars and your you know your big house and a lot of the jewish kids you know i'd go to jewish school or uh, like after school to get my bat mitzvah they were really mean and so i didn't feel, have a community there and in my own house it was it was not serious it was more cultural And so it wasn't actually until I went to Israel many years later where I completely re-identified what Judaism was when I was like at the Western Wall and just feeling there's something sacred and spiritual just in the air being there, no matter what your religion is, in my opinion. So, but growing up, there was a disconnect. And I think that's why I'm so inspired to create this community that I didn't have and to make people feel safe when I had to learn how to do that through, you know, over time and through these struggles. I ask because you go to the woods, Mm -hmm. the way I see the world today, 
Mm-hmm. Going to the woods is going to source. Mm-hmm. It's a sense of, oh my God, here I am now being held by the mother. Yes. But when I was a depressed, fucked up, drunk high school kid, yeah, I had in the suburbs. Yeah, I had no connection to nature through that doorway. None. Yes. Zero. Yeah. I didn't get it. I didn't feel the sentience yes. of the landscape. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand that the trees are available to re- relate emotionally. Yes. Uh, it felt weirdly foreign yeah. somehow. Yeah. Well, so when I was in the wilderness after the shock wore off, I started to sink into that feeling of just how, what a relief of how simple it was and how just the healing of nature. I don't, I didn't put words to it necessarily. I didn't, maybe didn't understand it that way, but it was so, you know, I'm a very sensitive person. I think most of the people that you interview probably are. And so to be just in nature where there are no expectations and it's quiet and simple and consistent and just meets you at that peace within you. How long were you in the woods? I was living there for 10 weeks. And then from there, I went to what was called a quote unquote emotional growth boarding school. And so this was- I don't know what that is. I'm going to tell you right now. No one, you, why would you? Emotional growth. <laughs> emotional growth. I mean, that was just a really good way to word it so that I could get into college. That's how they put it on their website. <laughs> Reform school. Yeah. Okay. So, but you know, it was traditional academia. I completed high school, mm-hmm. but sprinkled in with intensive therapy, one-on-one uh. therapy, group therapy, workshop therapy. I say that by the time I finished that program, I had received almost like a PhD in emotional intelligence, not from a book, but from learned lived experience of investigating all of my wounds, the source of my wounds, my behaviors, learning tools to support myself. And um, that that whole combination of that two year long process, which is what it was, the woods and the school, really started me on my journey. And then from there, I was like, well, now I know the source, but not not the source, not the big source, but the source of my pain. But how do I, what are some tools that I can use to thrive every day? So that's when I got into yoga, meditation, aromatherapy, mindfulness, Reiki, it just, the chakras, it just, the more that I studied, the more overwhelmed that I got actually, because I realized it was all part of a a system, right? So Ayurveda or traditional Chinese medicine, or it's it all layers onto each other to support the body, mind, and spirit. So I just became really fascinated with this. After the boarding school, I was living in the south of France. It was a gap year semester, and we all went to Morocco, and we went to an apothecary. And there was something, I couldn't explain it. It just felt familiar. I just, you know, I saw the saffron in the jars and rose and everything that was there, the herbs. And it just was, there was just an understanding that that's what people do, that that's how people heal themselves. And the beauty in that and using these things that just grow all around you to bring you back to center. 
And so that's, you know, created a seed for me. I didn't know what it meant or what to do about it. But that apothecary in Morocco, in Morocco really stayed with you. It really it, that's did. That's a sensual experience. You walk into a place like that and it has smells. Yes. The wood is old. Like yes. I'm just, you know, just yeah. from my own Morocco experience. And there's things that jars are open sometimes and you can whiffs, yes. whiffs of things yes. will pick up your nose and you kind of feel it in the air. Yes. It's not like going into a pharmacy in the no. States or a CVS and, go, you know, like where everything is antiseptic. Oh, There's no. a real feeling of inhabiting the herbal existence of right. that space and part of, you know, you're, you're, you're picking it up through your pores. Almost. Right, right. And, and the herbs were from the area and, and they, we had a whole demonstration. So we spent, it was like an activity to go to this apothecary and we probably spent a couple hours and we were smelling the herbs and putting on this charcoal eyeliner that they had crushed up. And I, I was, I didn't understand that no one else around me felt that familiarity that I felt. I thought this is just, of course, everyone feels this way. This is how you feel in an apothecary. It feels familiar and, and natural. But later on, when I would share that story and people weren't responding with that excitement. Hey, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, Jen, that's cool. But what, you know, who cares? I was like, oh, well, that's for me. That's for me to investigate. So that planted the seed that when I ended up going to college, Skidmore College in Saratoga Springs, which is super spiritual, just innately, the area, the springs, just the mountains. Well, upstate New York has got a long history of crazy spiritual energies. Oh my I mean, God. The birthplace of Mormonism, the whole thing, the, 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 the girls who like started um, in the 19th century, who started hearing voices, began the whole Ouija board phenomena. All this comes, stuff comes out of North, Northern New York State, like that area. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I don't know what it is. There's something in the earth there. It draws in really spiritual people especially Saratoga Springs, it's sort of like a jewel in all of it. And so I'm in Saratoga, I'm investigating and studying and meeting people in the town like uh, acupuncturists and yogis and Reiki masters and mindfulness practitioners. And I'm just immersing myself in this, what I describe as my extracurricular education. And somewhere there, I got back to the nature of it, got back to the plants, and decided to create what I called Skid Apothecary. Skid? Skid like, because I went to Skidmore College. So Skid Apothecary, Skidmore College Apothecary. And that became the foundation of Essential Rose. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
So Skidpothecary was... You were doing this for your friends? I mean, initially... Like, it was for that? my friends. Yeah. It was, I was ordering herbs to the post office on campus in bulk, like chamomile and mint and rose. And I was just reading Rosemary Gladstar online and just playing around and going on walks and trying to pick things and identify them and just having fun with it. But eventually it became clear that this is what I was going to do in some way or another. So you were saying before for you, meditation, yoga, aromatherapy. Mm -hmm. How did the aromatherapy thing kind of first hit you? What was the experience? Because that aspect of the body connecting is so powerful. Oh my God, I know. So. I fell into it accidentally, actually. So I was really interested in these plants. And I was like, how am I going to study about the plants? And so I was looking up all of these intro to herbalism courses. And at the time, firstly, there was no Arbor Vitae in New York. Arbor Vitae is? Is um, an herbal education school program in the middle of Manhattan. There was nothing like that at the time. In New York. In New York. That's right, because they started about four years ago, I think, five right. years ago, more or less. Exactly. Yeah. So um, Many of the herbalists at Alchemist Kitchen have come through Arbor Vitae. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. So firstly, if I wanted to study this, I would have had to go to you know North Carolina or Oregon, and the minimum was eight months. So an intro is eight months, and I wasn't ready to do that. And someone suggested that I look into what was called the New York Institute of Aromatherapy. Now it's called Aromatic Studies, uh, founded by Amy Galper. And I said, well, aromatherapy, that's, that's really only a part of it. And I don't know, but the intro was a weekend. And so I did this intro and I was blown away by these oils. I was like, I mean, and Amy is such a beautiful woman. And so the way that she taught us was very holistic. And a major part of learning about the oils was connecting with them on an energetic level. So she would pass around an oil, let's say chamomile. And before you even talk about the biological breakdown or the chemicals or any of that, she would have you smell it and feel, where do you feel it in your body? What memories does it bring up? What colors, what associations, what are you feeling with this oil? Then we would talk about that and then we would learn about the actual chemistry behind it. And so that way of studying the oils was life-changing. Like chamomile, I just remember that one so specifically. I smelt it and I was like, I'm seeing a meadow of, you know, sunshine and yellow flowers and it's so bright and beautiful and happy and and innocent. And it was just this visceral feeling. And then of course you learn, well, chamomile is incredibly soothing, uplifting, reduces inflammation and irritation and, you know, inflamed, frustrated states of emotional being. And so I think that because I had such a unique experience, I was like, 
you know, screw the herbalism. I want to go deeper into this. And so I registered for the advanced clinical aromatherapy program, which was a um, 300 hour certification. So that's what I ended up doing. But I fell into it accidentally and was really taken by the dynamicism of these oils, just how powerful they were and how beautiful and, you know, pure. Do you have some favorites now? Go-to's? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I love Rose. um, But, you know, Rose is just such, it's so exalted. And the reason why is because it honestly is incredibly powerful. I mean, Rose has the ability to support us through grief, through heartbreak, through anxious states, through depressive states, to soothe our emotions on an emotional level. On a physical level, it repairs the skin. It heals the skin. It's a tonic. It's a hydrator. Internally, it it's good for headaches, stomach aches. It's just, there's so much about it. And so the oils that I really work with um, are ones that shine through their holistic characteristics. So lavender is another one. It's really a basic one, but it's very powerful as well. Lavender, if Rose is the queen, then lavender is like the mother. And lavender, you know, emotionally, it soothes the central nervous system. It balances and harmonizes. It's a sedative. But also, it can brighten you and uplift you. It really depends what you pair it with. So lavender with citrus is going to have a much different action than lavender with chamomile, let's say. But on the physical level, it heals burns. It heals wounds. Um, it's it reduces inflammation and joint pain. So, you know, I would say rose, lavender, chamomile, cardamom. Cardamom is so beautiful, so sensual. I use a lot of cardamom in my products because it activates, it stimulates, it circulates, it inspires. It's feminine, but not in the light, flowery way. It's it's the empowered feminine, right? If I could imagine the an empowered feminine, it's again this physical posture, this emotional posture, the posture of our aura that something like cardamom can really support. So, and I use a lot of spruce. I use pine. I use conifers, right? Evergreen trees because trees on a, it's called the morphology. When you look at the parts of the plant you're using. So the trees, when you think of a tree, it's strong, it's stable, it's consistent. It's right. Like we were talking about the intelligence of trees and communicating with them. Well, when you're using those oils, you are embodying that. So, and then musculoskeletally, it improves the whole musculoskeletal system, reduces joint pain, inflammation, because the tree, right, it's like the whole, it's like the skeleton. So those, so when I'm using oils, I'm really thinking about all of that. Um, 
but definitely rose, chamomile, lavender, spruce, pine, conifers, and cardamom. As you work more closely with each of these plants, you develop a relationship with them. You get to know them, right? In shamanic traditions, Mm -hmm. there's a way that, you know, in training, shamans will essentially diet Mm. with a plant. Mm, Interesting. Mm -hmm. Where for a period of time, maybe it's a day, maybe it's a week, usually more than a day, they will consume or work with the same plant Mm. over and over and over again in a carefully controlled situation, you Mm. know, so that they can... You know, they're, they're cutting back on other stuff that they're taking in. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they're doing something like a fast or close to a fast. And then they're working with that plant every day. Mm. And the plant in that controlled relationship uh, begins to presence itself more. Mm. And so that the shaman is then in a position to um, hear the plant, mm. communication, like connect to, really mm-hmm. have an intimate connection. And... Uh, you know, in certain lineages, essentially songs come through, sounds mm. like something that that allows the in the shamanic context, uh, the the plant's essence mm. or spirit to be sung in a healing context, and these become the ikaros that are mm. used in shamanic ceremonies mm-hmm. in Amazonian or South American shamanic ceremonies. Those the that way of working with plants really can develop that a deeper and deeper sensitivity. Working with them in products, Mm -hmm. right? How how does that happen for you? How do you begin to shape the kind of the the product? Mm -hmm. The, is it fair to say beauty products? Are they like, how would you, how would you? I call them mood oils. Okay. That's our registered term, Uh, mood oils. And what does that mean to you? Mood oils are mood-enhancing aromatherapy oils that promote mental health and healthy skin. So they beautify externally because essential oils do that, but they also balance the emotions. They purify your mindset. They create these emotional experiences that help you throughout your day. So they're really tools for ritual, tools for the ritual of self-care. And the ritual of self-care, What is talk it? to me about that <laughs> a little bit. Um, I'm not very good at that, I have to admit. My mm. self-care rituals are kind of minimal mm. and I could work on that, but I don't, I don't know if, you know. Maybe yeah. you're underestimating yourself or you're, you're, you're judging what that term means. Okay. You know, I think it's very personal and varied. So as we were talking before, I was using a lot of rituals in my time of transformation, the yoga, the meditation. To me, ritual, obviously it dates back for thousands of years and it comes from rich traditions. The way that I use it today it just means to infuse action with intention. It's when you're sitting down for that ayahuasca ceremony, let's say I've never done it, but I've heard, it's setting the tone, it's using the plants, it's clearing the space, it's setting the rules, it's setting that intention so that that experience helps you transcend an ordinary moment or take an ordinary moment and make it less mundane, but actually an experience for healing. And so we can do this throughout our day, whether it's 
sitting at our desks at work, if you work at a desk, and taking a breath and closing your eyes and placing your hands on your heart and breathing for one minute. Or if we're in our car and we missed ourselves and process whatever we're feeling, or if before bed we do a little gratitude journaling, or when we wake up, if we have our cup of tea rather than drinking it hastily, but sit down and feel it and have a mindfulness practice with it. So it's just, again, infusing our actions with intention. It can mean a sacred space. It can mean performing actions in a space that's clean and pure. It doesn't have to because your car may not be that or your desk at work. Um, but I believe that having these practices can be very grounding and support mental health and emotional health. Okay, so it's early morning, mm -hmm. 7.15. Yes. You're supposed to leave the house in two minutes in order okay, to get no. to the office on time. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> you're making up your face. Yeah. Where does the where does where's ritual, the time? Where's the time? Where's the how does well you're how giving does one, you're not giving me a lot to work with, all okay. right? But we're, <laughs> we're we're gonna do it because there I'm sure there are people who are listening who that's the situation. All right, there's two minutes. You're washing your face. Can you, as you're washing your face, look at yourself in the mirror and and set some intentions and maybe say them out loud? Ask yourself, how am I doing today? Right? It can be an, a playful investigation. Am I feeling anxious? Am I feeling good? How am I feeling? Right? As you're cleansing your face, you're looking, you're setting the tone for your day. Maybe you close your eyes and you take a deep breath. Maybe you take three, maybe you take five. Maybe you bring awareness into your feet and feel your feet rooting into the earth. Maybe you even see roots growing from your feet into the earth. Maybe you use an essential oil or maybe you use some other products that you love. So that's if you had two minutes. If you have more time, let's maybe. Just say, let's just say it's possible you have more time. Okay. It's possible you have more time than... There are so many things you can do. Maybe you get out of bed and you make your bed and you make yourself a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or lemon water and you sit in your sacred space or on your bed, wherever you have availability, and you sit for a 10-minute mindfulness or a 20-minute or a 30-minute mindfulness. What do you do? Okay, so for me, it's 30 minutes. Every day. Not every day because I'm human, but most days, most yes. Days. Okay. Most days, yes. That's good. So I sit. I aspire to that. Yeah, I mean, well, for me, it, it's, you know, we all have different tools, but for someone like me who is hypersensitive, prone to depression and anxiety, I need that quiet space to allow me to respond to life as opposed to react to life. If I don't have that space, I will be a lot more reactive to things that happen and let them spiral me out of control versus have the perspective that they're just a situation and they don't define me. And so I sit in silence. I don't, not everyone will, not everyone should. That's just what I do. I sit in silence, I breathe. I focus on my breath. I like to say that the goal of mindfulness is not to quiet the mind. The goal is to focus on an anchor, like the breath, sensation, your intention, a mantra, sound. 
and the mind will quiet naturally as a result. It's not the goal, but you end up going there. When we focus on quieting the mind as the goal, we create a lot of stress for ourselves and we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and we judge our experience because if we had a quiet mind, then we wouldn't need to sit in the first place. So mindfulness means paying attention on purpose in the present moment. It's paying attention without judgment. And out of all of the types of meditation I've studied and yoga I've studied, I love mindfulness because it's really just a neutral practice that anyone can sign up for. You don't have to believe in anything necessarily. It's just a way of paying attention. And I think that it translates very well from a mat into daily life because it changes your awareness. So like I said, I sit it's, I focus on the anchor. It's usually my breath. And every time my mind wanders, I just casually bring it back. I don't judge. I, I try not to judge. I'm, I'm past the point of judging. Let's just say that. <laughs> so um, I don't judge. And if you do judge, you don't have to judge yourself for judging. So I come, I continue to come back to the breath and I usually will in there set some intentions. I'll have like a conversation with myself, with my higher self, my inner self. And I will come out from that feeling a lot more calm, grounded, and empowered, empowered to navigate my day, clear about where I'm going and where I was when I woke up and where I want to be. So that's the first part. And then I have started to do uh, tapping, if you know what tapping is. Emotional I do. Okay. But, but please tell us a little bit about tapping. So emotional freedom technique is the process of tapping on certain acupressure points to release energy and to help your intentions really sink more deeply into your awareness as well as to get honest about the blocks and own the blocks that may be getting in the way. So I really like it because in EFT, you always start with owning where you are. You own the blocks. You own the anxiety, the tension, the whatever's getting in the way. And I feel like this is a part that many people miss. They don't want to own it. They want to just set the affirmation. They want to reap in the abundance of the universe. But why aren't you? W what's getting in the way? So step one is we own an emotional freedom technique. There's a whole statement and a process. And then we get to say where we're ready to release and what we're ready to let in. So you do that every day as a process, like you it, coming back to that every time? I don't do it every day, but I've I've started to do it after my mindfulness because I already will be clear and I'm already sitting cross-legged and it's just a natural sort of progression. And I, I it really helps me. I notice a visceral shift when I do it. And maybe I just, maybe it's placebo and I'm just believing in it, but I think there really is something there because it's, again, setting this intention while tapping on these points where tension may be stored. Right, and these points are like 
you know, these acupressure, are the acupressure, acupuncture. Points. Right, exactly. So these these points have got some lineage, uh, I was right. going to say lineage and legacy, but I somehow yeah. didn't say it. Lineage and legacy <laughs> in terms of like understanding how they, you know, where they are and why they're effective. Um, yeah. And, you know, rather than putting a needle in. Right. This perhaps, is acupuncture at home, right. except you're adding in the benefit of affirmation and intention and you can do it on yourself and it takes five minutes. So this is really cool if you want to look this up. And I taught myself through YouTube. So then I make my cup of tea. Then- What kind of tea? I love green tea. Green tea. I'm a green tea, loose leaf, obviously. So maybe not obviously, but I'm um, I'm a bit of a tea snob. Uh, apparently. <laughs> I'm a bit a of a tea snob. <laughs> I'm in a rush. I use a tea bag. I mean, okay, no, no, happens, no. That's fine. Okay. That's fine. No, no, you, don't, I, but you can have judgment on me. It's if okay. you I, drink, I don't take it personally in any way. If you I'm drink loose leaf consistently, you will recognize the difference in quality. And going back, I wanted to say this earlier. You were saying how the shamans would work with specific plants. T. camellia sinensis is one of those plants that has been part of ceremony for thousands of years. And it does have an intelligence. And whether or not you can actually hear it speak to you, you can, you can, you can embody it and absorb it through the quality of the tea that you drink. So loose leaf, it just communicates. It's just, it's strong, it's clean, it's pure. So that's what I have, green tea. And then I'll sit down with a journal and I will, so I got this from um, Ernest Nightingale. I believe that's what his name is. Yes. And it's all about the power hour. And so he's basically said, if you give yourself an hour every day, I don't give myself an hour every day, but if you do five days a week to brainstorm about how to become an expert in your field or just little ways that you can improve in your field or things you want to research, it's a study time, then by the end of it, you will be an expert. And so it's pretty cool. So I just kind of will sit and brainstorm any marketing ideas I have for essential rose or any just things floating around. And I'll use that time also to read other people. You know, lately I've been reading um, Getting Things Done is this book. It's about, again, the, the moon in Virgo, but it's just how to really organize and Basically, the, it's actually really cool. Um, I forgot David Allen is the author, and he his background is in martial arts. And so he basically says that the mind, you want to make the mind like water. And the way to make the mind like water is to get everything that's in your brain out in a system. Because he says, and he draws from research, that our brains are not meant to be storage facilities. They're really bad at that. So if we don't get things out of our head onto paper, we're going to keep repeating in our minds the tasks. Our brains can't differentiate between what's due now or what's due in five months. So we, we get it on paper so that we can 
make our minds like water. It's, again, a lot of mindfulness and just be present be able to be fully where we are. So that's what I'm reading and that's what I'm thinking about at this moment. That's awesome. So it's long. It's a big, it's a it's big. A, it's a, you got, you have a couple hours, maybe yeah. you're not quiet in the yeah. morning where you really, that is a, but it doesn't that's have a to beautiful be. place to be. Yeah. Um, with, as one gets ready in the morning. Yes. And you're preparing yourself for the world mm -hmm. and you're developing a, a, a ritual for yourself mm -hmm. as you, you know, do stuff yeah. for your for your skin, for your face, for your body. You're treating yourself mm -hmm. to oils, to different kinds of. Um, uh, I mean, you can say pampering. Yes, but yes. it's also maintenance. Yes, restoring. <laughs> Restorative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do, would you suggest bringing and a mindfulness approach mm. to that. Mm, okay. I noticed that on your products, you mm -hmm. have- Mantras. They're mantras. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so exactly. So we have these mantras on our products because we see them as phrases of intention, of phrases of affirmation that our customers bring to mind as they're using them. So for instance, a beautiful oil to use in the morning while you're washing your face and taking care of your face is our rose gold face oil. And the mantra of that is I nourish myself on a cellular and emotional level. So as you're massaging it into the skin, you ideally are bringing that mantra to mind and you're, that is what transforms a regimen into a ritual. Remember I said ritual is the intention, infusing that intention with action. So an ordinary application of face oil goes from regimen into a ritual of putting on this coat of nourishment for your skin and your emotions through the intention that you set through that mantra. So each of our products has a mantra so that they can be really used as tools, right? If you're sitting at your desk and you wanna take that one minute break, why not get out your mood mist and bring the mantra to mind? So for sacred presence, it's, I embrace the divine unfolding of my life. Just what a relief that is to just embrace the divine unfolding. Or why not mist brighten? I radiate warmth and vitality. And so you're, you're misting those on and that's allowing you to go into this mindful state and then you take your breath or you have your three breaths or five breaths. So it's using aromatherapy in tandem with mindfulness again to really transform your awareness. So the way you approach Essential Rose as a program. Yes. Right? You talk a little bit about that. Like, how are you crafting it mm. in order to have the, for it to um, uh, fulfill the intention that you're bringing to it mm. and the kind of effect you would like it to have on people? Well, we really want to do a lot more content creation around this because, as you said, it really ideally is a program for empowerment. But the most recent thing that I did create 
was actually a six-week online program. It's called Lead Your Life, and it corresponds with the products, but uses the products with rituals, meditations, visualizations to explore certain themes. So it goes self-love, forgiveness, trust, confidence, self-empowerment, and self-expression. And each of those themes corresponds with a product. And the way that you use the products, you're delivered these weekly, daily rather, rituals, videos, audios of how to use the particular product to create this experience to enhance your lifestyle. So that was just what I most recently launched. It's called Lead Your Life. Again, there's so much around empowerment and leadership that really is my mission. Um, And beyond that, there's a lot of room to really create video and programs, as you say, to integrate the oils with these skills and these practices that people can use and learn and use throughout their day. Sweet. Jen, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. It's really inspiring work that you're doing. Thank you. And it's great to have your products at the Alchemist Kitchen. Yes. Great to catch up with you here. Yeah, thank you so much. Where can people find more about what you're doing? Okay, so on social media, we are at Essential Rose Life. Again, it's at Essential Rose Life. On our website, it is EssentialRoseLife.com. And you will find everything if you go there, if you go to those two places. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank Jennifer Goldman for joining us, and you too for being with us. You can find out more about Jennifer's work at Essential Rose Life at their website, EssentialRoseLife.com. I want to give thanks to our producer, Jose Alfaro, and the ACAST team. Our theme music is Measure by Measure by Paul D. Miller, a.k.a. DJ Spooky, from his album, The Secret Song. And our interstitial music are tracks by The Human Experience. Sunu from the album Soul Visions with Rising Appalachia, and here for a moment on the album Gone, Gone, Beyond. Please check him out. That's all for now. We'll be back next week. Find the others. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.